How's it guys? You're listening to SASurfski.com. We're all about surfski, we're all about paddling, and your host Robin Tyndall is coming in hot straight out of Cape Town. Hey guys, welcome back to SASurfski.com. Uh, we have a departure from the normal. So up to now, we've been chatting to the likes of Jasper Marker. We've had David Marker on, on, on the podcast. But this time, I wanted to take a different track. And I'm sitting here with, um, with um, Desmond Howard and Siska Howard, who've just done the most incredible trip. I was kind of flicking through Facebook, as we all do every day. And I think, uh, I forget the timing, but two or three weeks ago, maybe a bit more, I stumbled across this Facebook feed of these guys paddling up the Namibian uh, coastline. I, could, I couldn't really figure out what was going on. I'm friendly with Cisco and Desmond. I couldn't get hold of them because they were in the middle of nowhere. But eventually, the story broke. They have put a website out of their adventure. And let me give you this URL. I've got it here in front of me. It is um, skeletoncrew.com.na. Do yourself a favor. Check out this website. These guys have done the most incredible adventure. And I've invited them onto our podcast today to tell us a bit more about what it is. So Desmond, maybe let me start with you. Um, what exactly, what, what, how many days, how far did you paddle from where to where? What, give us the context of what you guys did. Yeah, so the overall, thanks very much for inviting us on top. Um, yeah, the overall thing is, is 487 Ks, um, which I lied to our guys when we started. It was, it was, I thought it was going to be 460, but like everything, it got a, it got a little bit out of hand. We paddled from Lüderitz to Swakopmund. Um, there's absolutely nothing between the two points. Uh, it's, it's, it's just Vista and, and desert and sea. So you, you've got desert, and sea, desert on the one side, sea on the other side. So it's amazingly beautiful. But um, yeah, it, it is a seven-day, eight-day trip. Um, the last day being, being the, the, the shortest of 20Ks. Um, and then in varying lengths between 60 and 95 um, so, so our shortest day, sweetheart, was it what? Forty-seven. Sweetheart was forty-six. Forty-seven was the yeah. shortest day. So the shortest day out was forty-seven, excluding the one from from Dolphin Beach to Swakopmund, and then the rest of them were were comfortably in the sixties. Um, and like I said, the last big one was a ninety-five. Jeez. Okay, that's, that's a hang of a long way. Okay, for for those of us whose um, geography is up there with Donald Trump's. Uh, the Luderitz. Now, Luderitz is just just north of the South African border. Am I right? Correct. Yes. So, Ranjemunt is about, I think it's 370 k's uh, south of of Luderitz. Luderitz is regarded as, I mean, that's the area where all the big um, uh, speed surf, speed windsurfing um, is done. Uh, so, from a downwind perspective, it's it's phenomenal. So it's just very very close to to South Africa, relatively speaking. It's in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Huh? So so you you drive, um, you, t- you turn off the main drag and drive about three hundred kilometers, yeah, to get to to Luderitz. And it's a one road in, one road out. So it's not like you can pass through Luderitz on your way to somewhere special. Um, Luderitz is that place special, and and I must say it, it is an amazing visit just on its own. So from a from the perspective of, of traveling through Namibia, this is definitely one of the spots you'd like to see. It's um, it's got a place called Kormans Kop, is where the diamond it's it's the where all the diamonds started, all the diamond mining started from. I mean, the guys are picking up diamonds um, 
sort of literally off, uh, off the ground while they were putting up the, the railroads. So it's, it's a beautiful place to start, but it's, it's from, a, from a wind perspective, which I'm sure all the search skiers will, will appreciate, it's massive. I mean, we, we, we departed on day one in sort of 25, 30 knot winds. Um, very constant, very, very solid. Desmond, how did you come up with this idea? What, what? I mean, first of all, you guys, this is this is happening in Namibia, guys. Namibia is a desert. I think how many surf ski paddlers are there? I think there's four of you in the entire country. That I'm aware of, right? There are four of us. So, so, so in, in four the, and a half, because yeah, I get on the water like so, every yeah, once a year. Siska, I've convinced every now and again to go in a double with me, so she she sort of counts. Yeah, we, we've got the grand total of like five paddlers in the whole of Namibia. Um, I started paddling and. Yeah, it's a joke. <laughs> so five paddles in the whole of the country. Now you woke up one morning and what? You thought, you know, listen, there's five of us. This coastline's wild. We've got no, no, no safety crew, no nothing here. You know what? Sounds like a good idea. Let's head down to Luderus and paddle, paddle on the most deserted, hostile coastline around. I mean, how did you come up with this lunatic idea? Oh, so, so about, about six months ago, mm-hmm. yeah, we, we, I, I just put out a, a little WhatsApp to a bunch of mates that uh, that I knew paddled, and we said, "Well, listen, I'm going. I'm going to go on my own if nobody joins me. But it'll be nice if I don't have to go on my own." And uh, Noodle was the was no actually no, Jason. Jason. Yeah, Jason. Jason Kudals from Carbonology Sport. I, I don't think I'd sent out the WhatsApp, and 30 seconds later, it came back and said, "No, he's in. It doesn't matter what's happening. He's coming with." He said, "No matter the date, no matter the distance." This is something that he's got to do, so he's in. Yeah, he knocked it out the park. So he, he was actually one of the strong the legs behind it to, 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 keep, to keep the momentum going. Um, then I, the mission was I had to get a partner and he had to get a partner. Um, we chatted to one or two other paddlers to see if we could get them on it, but uh, timing is short. This is a big paddle. and It's a long time to be away from home, so it's difficult to get everybody in line. Um, and like I said, I think it's, it's something that you've got to – this is a bucket list thing, so you've got to – plan it in advance and know that you're going to do it and, and, and get involved. So yeah, and then it just grew from there. Um, then it was a question of just getting every, everything together, all the logistics sorted out, um, which was surprisingly easy. We didn't spend a hell of a lot of time on it. I mean, having done it before, we were well versed in, in what to take with and what not to take with. Um, and yeah, so, so most of the stuff we had already. So that was quite cool. Um, and yeah, off we went, uh, uh, sort of he- head into the wind. I must say what was quite amazing is Jason immediately came back and he said, well, he's going to build some custom craft. So he jumped right in and um, built two carbonology blasts, um, double skis, and put um, storage compartments in there and things like that to make it easier for the boats to be able to carry more, more um, gear, basically. Yeah, it was a big failing of ours in the beginning. Um, not, not, not to knock the, the, the Fen ski because it was a great ski, but we went in there, their fat boy, uh, the, never, XT. Um, the XT, yeah, um, in, uh, the first time round. And uh, when you chuck and wait in there and, and get it going, it just doesn't get up to speed. Uh, you, you, you struggle to get onto waves and runs and that sort of thing. Uh, we, we, and we were also a little bit more overloaded. We, we, weren't, we weren't ready for the whole thing. Um, and this time with Jason's boats, oh, they were fantastic, really fantastic. And we, we limited ourselves to, to south of 25 kgs for, for, for each boat, which, which was very important. I mean, it, it's funny, from, from 20 kgs up, it starts becoming dramatically more difficult to paddle. Uh, they become very stable, 
uh, the boats, but they, they're, not, they're not great in the runs. Look, the, the important thing to note as well is the first two evenings were unsupported. So they, they went completely unsupported for the first three days. Um, so they had to carry their water with them, they had to carry their food with them. Um, should something happen to the boat, they had to have emergency supplies with them. Um, which, which does add on the kilograms. Um, and then we could only get to them at Easter Point on day three. Um, so that's why they had to, because there's no way for a car to get to them anywhere closer than that. And, and even that was a struggle. So the, no, so the logistics of it was, was a bit of, it took a bit of planning from that perspective. No, the, the format was, was three days unsupported, so two nights, and then the, the last uh, four days, five days, um, was, was in obviously very nice, support from from the side and we camped all the way um but it was beautifully catered i mean cisco did an awesome job for us out there we had a, a the when we arrived on the coast the tents were set up and everything was there the food was already being cooked and cold beers for those that had a beer and like a cool cool drinks and juice so it was it was five five star in the middle of nowhere five, five star camping in the middle of absolutely nowhere so it was phenomenal but the first three days, uh, purely from a logistics perspective, you literally cannot, there's no way to get there. There's no way to, to so if something goes wrong, at, I mean, we'd arranged for, for helicopters and, and uh, flight, flights to drop, to drop food or whatever if we got into trouble. So from a, from a safety perspective, we were well covered. And we were all traveling with these uh, trackers, um, uh, spot trackers on us. Uh, we had our sat phone with us. Um, so, so from a safety perspective, very well covered. Um, but the first three days, it was it was us in the wind, uh, which was fantastic. Uh, it, it, was, it was I think it's the perfect amount of time to spend on your own to see how quiet and, and how in the middle of nowhere you are. Because I think that's what's fascinating about this trip is is, is that there are still places in the world where there's nothing. Um, uh, unbelievably beautiful. So it, what's what's fascinating to me is is the versatility of the surf ski. So typically when this kind of thing is done, and there's a, I think it's a New Zealand lady, if I'm not mistaken, uh, who's paddling all over the world or circumnavigating around the Americas and all kinds of things, but they're doing it in what they call touring kayaks. And I profess my ignorance a little bit about this. But you guys seem to have taken Carbonology's fastest racing surf ski, which I think is the Blast, if I'm not mistaken, and you've turned that into a touring boat and you've filled it with kit. and And you've done that after having taken a slower ski so this is based on experience so, so I'm, I'm fascinated that you found the twitchiest fastest ski to be the right tool for the job for touring is it and after having yeah, done it would absolutely. you still agree absolutely and there's no doubt about it so, so i think let's let's, start, let's kick this off this is not a this is not a journey for the faint of heart and it's not a journey for a beginner so so, so that's your first port of call so, so there goes the big boat immediately um, speed, versatility, agility, and time on the water is, is what's important here. So, so you're doing massive distances every day. So you want the fastest, cleanest boat that you can that, that you can put on the water. Um, the heavier it gets, obviously, the more stable it gets anyway. So from from in the beginning, the, the, the boats were as stable as as, um, as stable as they get. I think it was possibly even more stable than the than the XT at at, at its full weight. But um, Absolutely, the right choice. Uh, I would, I would. I'm actually considering chatting to, to to Jay to set up some more boats, so we we'll all have the same. But unfortunately, this is the the, the nature of this paddle. It excludes it excludes the inexperienced guy. So so um, I, I it sounds to me, Des, like you guys are the easy side. You're rocked up at Luderit. You pack the boats with what little you could 
quite packed because the boats have only got so much storage space. So, Why do you think but, I chose that side? I chose that side on purpose. <laughs> bit of water. Look, you know, you guys had some tents no, and some dry them. bags. But Siska, yeah, you, you guys, I mean, I saw, did I see three buckies on that website loaded to the hilt? It looked like you were catering for the masses. If these guys got massive appetites, what did you, what did you have to carry with you that needed three bucky or was it two bucky loads? What, you had these big trucks crossing the, crossing the dunes. Um, look, Robin, you, you go, once you leave um, Walfish Bay, you go past the salt pan. So we've got a massive salt factory just outside Walfish Bay. And past that point, you go into Sandwich Harbor and you lose reception and you lose all touch with um, civilization. So you, you're heading into the nowhere. So a big part of the, it was three trucks. So a big part of what we carried was to make sure that we make it, first of all. And then the other thing is, um, if you're going into the desert and you're so far away from everything, um, these, these buckies that, that can drive those dunes are typically petrol guzzlers. So you have to take all your fuel with, you have to take your water with, you have to take your food with. And now because it was the first time we did this, um, we weren't sure what we're going to need, what the boys are going to need once they come off the water and all that sort of things. So I have to say that Armand, he's from iDream Africa, so they do this for a living. And when we phoned him and said to him, Armand, we've got this idea, he immediately said, I'm in. Um, he gave us dates that suited him and luckily everything aligned and he was able to, to take us. But he refuses to go into the desert if he can't take two cars at least with him. They will never go just one car or two cars. You'll have to have three cars. And it actually, I thought to myself, ah, no, man, this is overkill. Why take so, so like, we don't need to, to leave that bigger footprint. Um, and the one day the first bucky got stuck and the second bucky got stuck trying to pull out that bucky and the third one was was needed so there's a good reason for for the three cars to go in um i mean you're doing you're dune driving and that's what you do for the entire seven days is you're going up a dune down a dune or you do beach driving there's no um jeep track there's no there's nothing other than really thick sand um and these tires are laid down to 0.8 bar um which is quite you know, they, they run quite flat. So anything can happen. A, a tire can come off the, the rims or it can, it can burst or, um, you know, um, we had one of the tires literally disintegrated. So that's why you need to take extra tires. You need to take everything that you can possibly need on this trip um, in, in the cars. Um, and, and then enough for us as well. <laughs> you know, the food was an important factor. This sounds like a trip where you can combine your love for paddling with a friend who's four by four mad. We've all got one of those mates. He's got a four by four. He drives it to work every day in Johannesburg or Cape Town. And, and uh, he's just dying for a chance to take it off road. And you could combine those two interests because it, it sounds after, after reading and I really, guys, you've got to go check out this website and watch these videos. The shoreside adventures of, uh, of Siska and the, uh, and her shore crew, what these guys went through and, and the picture that Siska has painted with her words and the, and the visuals there it sounds absolutely amazing um, what, what, you, what they went through. So I, th I think you guys might have a product on your hand where people who have nothing to do with paddling, who just want to come along and be a part of it, uh, you know, can come and enjoy. Because 
when they, when guys, when they say dune driving, look at these visuals. These guys are talking driving dunes that if you walked in them, you'd sink up to your knees. This is loose, dry sand. We're not talking about desert scrub here. We're talking about wandering dunes and trying to get cars up and down no, them. There are very few rocks. Very, very, <laughs> very few, few rocks. rocks. I think, so I think paddling the boat was the easy part. But Des, let's come back and talk about the paddling. You spoke about Luderitz. You spoke about it being windy. Now, I'm assuming that wind, wind is behind you. Otherwise, why would you go in the opposite direction? Yeah, correct. So, so, so the, the, the general frame of reference is, is we... We, our windy season, I mean, we, we get wind the whole year, um, like you guys in Cape Town, but um, our windy season is usually sort of August to November. Um, so, so anywhere in between. If I leave, if I do this again, I would do it a little bit later purely because of that. So, so we get a, a solid south, south, southwester um, up the coastline most, most afternoons. Um, so, so, I mean, we... we it's either no wind. Um, okay, well, the general the rule of thumb is early morning we get a little bit of north, um, not ne never usually too strong. Uh, then it spins around to a, a good south, 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 or southwest, south uh, wind up to or from a 16 knots up. And and in that time of the year, it gets from you know 35, 40 knots um, in Luderitz, and that's exactly the time frame that they do the the speed trials for the windsurfing. So that's why we chose that window. Um, and, and I would definitely do it. I would do it at the same time again. Yeah. So, so you're, you're, you're traveling. It's, it's always obviously we're traveling north um, from from a wind perspective, and you're praying for that solid 35 knots every day. Yeah? <laughs> but that didn't quite work out as planned. Can um, I want to jump in? There's a couple of things that have, that jumped out to me, and and forgive me, my timing my timing's a little off here. You guys will know. Um, mm -hmm. There was one one landing where you guys came in where you weren't quite sure where you were coming through. There were lots of rocks and reefs around. You had to pick your way through the beach. I don't think you knew where you were coming. At least that's the impression I got from uh, reading and watching the video. Did, was that the case? Were you kind of landing on beaches that you had to kind of figure out what was between you and the so, beach and, and rocks and reefs and so forth? And how did you manage that? I'm so so the, the, the general rule of thumb is, is we, we knew where we were going, but, but the conditions that we were landing in were, uh, I'd say 30 to 40% of the time were, were a little bit unknown. Um, so so on, on Google, it's, I mean, as, as you know, it's very, very clear as to, as to what you're heading towards, but you don't know what's under the water or around. So, so day one, um, we were obviously always trying to head for bays. So that was the biggest reason for the distances that we jumped. So we, we literally jumped to the very first bay and then the very next bay and then the very next bay. But it looked like it was safe to, to come in with, with, a, with a surf scheme. And obviously, the one advantage of a, of a sea kayak, for instance, is, is that it's a plastic boat. Um, so if you hit something, nothing serious is going to happen. Um, but on a surf ski, you, you don't, on, a, on a carbon boat, you, you're not going to last very long. So day, day one, we, we, had a, we had a bay. And there was also a little bit of, of maneuvering. Um, but you can see it quite clearly. So, so we weren't too concerned. Um, day two, we, we also we came around into a, a, a little little harbour. Um, it's, it's where where the, the uh, Utavi, Utavi um, had run aground, ship, yeah. shipwreck had run aground there. So that was that was lovely uh, landing point. But day three is a is a nasty point because it's a very very small um, cove almost. It's, it's not even it's not even really it's not a bay. It's it's, it's a slight outcropping of rock that, that, that's there, and we have to sneak around it as tight as possible to avoid the swell. Um, so there was a little bit of zigzagging just to make sure. N next time round, I'd be very confident. Um, the first time that Noodle and I did it, we we ended up overshooting the bay by almost 
a kilometer because um, it's so small. Now this time, because the cars were there, we actually had a, a point to, to aim for. So it was, it was far easier to come in. So yeah, I, I, now after doing it again, it would be fine. So, so it, it was a little bit hairy, but you know, then the rest of the time, I mean, when we came into to, um, what the conception, the conception. Conception, conception Bay, these are very long bays. So, so initially, it's not, it's not like they are the bay as you picture them. They are just a, a long cut-in. So, so it blocks the, the, the sea swell once you're deep, deep enough inside of it. Um, so then you've got, you've got basically a, a, sort of a half a meter swell that's, that's lapping up against the, the, the side. So that's easy. And that was pretty much the rest of the time how, how it worked. So, so it's, and it's sandy beaches. Um, the, the first stretch of the of the paddle, the first three days, that's the the rocky section from Ludwig. Ludwig is very rocky. Um, you leave from from a, some, you're surrounded by rocky mountains uh, of hills, not mountains. Um, and then there are, are are rocks all the way along. Uh, always a beach to to land, but it's but it's very rocky. And then from that point onwards, from the end of of Easter Point, which is the end of day three, it's it's dunes uh, all the way to to uh, Munt. Literally hardly see a rock anywhere. Talk to me about day. Talk to me about day five. Day five, and I think day six <laughs> seem to be highlights. But let's start with. I don't really want to talk the, about it. Yeah, you know, let's start with day five. Now, let, let me let me position this, guys. So, when I first came to Cape Town as a paddler a couple of years ago, myself and uh, Dave Black, who some of you may know, we went. Uh, we paddled from waterfront in Cape Town to Barker's Rock and back, and the fog landed at us at uh, Barker's Rock. We were chatting. We didn't notice it. We know this water by the back of our hands. It took us two hours to get back to Oceana. We went every which way but north. And I got down on my hands and knees and I kissed that slipway when we landed in that fog. And this was on a calm, beautiful day. Guys, day five, you had some fog. I can only imagine what it was like. What happened? Man, yeah, so, so, so you've got to understand this coastline is, it's, it's a standard. So, so I paddle in the, in the mist and the fog quite regularly in, in uh, Sokopmunt and, and uh, Valfus Bay. Um, so, so when you're not used to it, it, it is a little bit, it is a little bit frightening because there's a couple of key, key points that you have to basically remember. Um, but but the most important part to remember is take a GPS. <laughs> so, so, so we had a we had a very solid little GPS with us. Um, but it's still you know so, so if you're not ready for it, it's frightening. So, so when we started the paddle, it was actually a beautiful day. Uh, it was clear. Um, the wind wasn't too strong. Uh, we had a slight north north wind. So, so but, but it's not it's a normal it's what ex, it's what's expected. We were hoping and it would swing around to the west and then. And later in the afternoon, hit us from behind. Um, sort of about 15 k's in, we went, the north wind started to push quite hard. So we were, we were, I'm going to guess it was about 15, 16 knots that we were paddling into, which wasn't great. Um, and obviously the swell then picks up with that. But but the, the problem was is that the mist started pushing in, and it started out being a very light mist. And ultimately, you can't see the, the coastline. And then you're struggling to see each other, <laughs> which, which was which wasn't great. Um, and at, at about that point, we, we started having a couple of fights on the on the on the, on the water as to, as to whether we should turn back or or whether we should uh, turn right or we and head, head to the coast. So there was a, a little bit of haji bargy that that happened. Um, I was the, possibly the voice of insanity and to say, "Hang on, guys, we're out here. This is what we came here for. Um, we've got a GPS. Let's just knock it out the park." You know, we, we, we're where we knew what we signed up for. I, I think that's also part of that's part of what this journey is. There's a 
I think... Look, it's a skeleton coast. It's going to give you everything it's got. Oh, and no, that's exactly what happens. You're not so. going to miss out on any weather, <laughs> any... And I, I think you, you, you go there... Look, I'm not going to suggest that, we, that, that you go out in unsafe conditions. But I mean, this is possibly as unsafe as it gets. But when you've got a GPS and you know that there are no rocks in your way and the, and the only thing that can really go wrong is a... Is a, a, a boat breaking or a, losing a rudder or a cable snapping. I mean, you, you know the risks. All the people listening will, will know the risks of a, of a boat falling apart. Um, <clears throat> besides that, you, you're pretty safe. It's, it's not a. It's just a question of, of, of a mental game of saying to yourself, "We're here for this. We're going to do it. Let's knock it out the park." And everybody knocked it out the park. It, it was the longest paddle. It was the longest day on the water. I mean, we had a 95k paddle the day before and that was eight and hours that was eight hours and this was eight and a half hours to do 75 so it was a it was a serious serious battle look and the other thing that i need to add to this robin is um this is a sandy coastline it changes so even the guys that that came in a bit later said to us he's he would just the two weeks before um, and it's totally changed from from them. And when we say change, it like literally moves by 500 meters. So, so you 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 when my waypoints, my first waypoint on 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 that day was about 500 meters in, 500, the, in the in the sea. Yeah. So, so I mean, you can still see the coastline, but you you you're, yeah, <laughs> it's not quite correct. And he's quite right when he says he's the voice of insanity. Um, because I'm I'm on the shore and I can I can't see anything. Um, and we just knew, um, sort of watching the time go by, and, and you think, okay, this is supposed to be a six-hour paddle. We're now at the seven-hour mark. Um, obviously, we can see the conditions from where we are, but what we don't know anything other than that. We can't track them um, on the on the trackers from where we are because we don't have cell phone reception. Even though it's a it's a GPS tracking system, it only comes through to your phone on an app or to a laptop. So we had John Wolf um, on on. As, as our safety officer, but he's sitting in Swakop and he's also got the sat phone number. So John phones me at some stage and he says, Siska, um, have you got the boys? I'm like, um, no, no, John, not at all. What do you mean? He says, no, but on the app, he can see they're on dry land already. Yeah, they must be walking. Right they now. must be walking somewhere. You've <laughs> got to go find them. So obviously I started not, not panicking because I knew they would phone if they're in trouble or, or something, but, but you sort of start to get that sense of, oh man, this is going to be a really long day. And uh, we, we then got in the cars and I said to Vaynant, one of the backup drivers that, that were there with us, I said to Vaynant, we've, we've got to go look for these guys. Because if John says they're walking, um, he can see on the app that they're already on yeah, dry they, land. They're going to find four very unhappy, cold paddlers on yeah. the beach. And we, we need to go find them. So we got in the car in the Amarok and we just started driving down the coastline. And I said to him, look, they, they won't be able to see us. We can't see them because literally at that stage, you couldn't see 50 meters in any which way. So here's us driving next to the coast and, and we already, we're already in the bay. So you can hear the small waves crashing, but that's about it. And I said to him, we've got to make a noise and hope. That they, that they realize it's us and they make a noise back or whatever. There's, there's a whole number of things that go through your, your head at that stage. And we were just hooting and shouting and hooting. And just at one stage, you could hear, you could hear these four tired voices shouting off the water. And I promise you, it's, it's one of the sweetest sounds I've ever heard because I just knew, okay, they're still going. And we turned around and these days shouting, how far is it yet? <laughs> I'm like, no, you've got about two kilometers still to go. 
And um, Ben, yeah, like I said, you can barely see them. So I think on the videos um, on the website, you'll be able to get a sense of how it looked from, from our perspective. So luckily they were still with each other and the bay is, is quite deep um, early into, into it. And um, yeah, so then the, we, we even put out a big LED light and you, you can't see it unless you stand right underneath it. And what helped in the end was an orange jacket that I think very, Fanta... A very ugly orange jacket. Very from, ugly. Courtesy of Fanta. Yeah, that we put up on the front of the, the, the nose of the, the cruiser. And um, yeah, when we got them in, Robin, oh man, I can't, I can't explain to you how four extremely tired guys look like. And, and they just got off the water and total champions. Um, and we, we had quite a struggle to get old Fanta warm again. So the rest of them <laughs> that, have got a was, bit more body. It wasn't Fanta's <laughs> finest, finest day. Uh, he, was, he was broken, oh, broken from, a, from a cold perspective. I, I think he, he got a little bit of hypothermia. He said to me, he said to us all, listen, just leave me alone. I'm going to go sit in the car, put on some music. I'm just going to park off for half an hour. <laughs> so he, he vanished into the tent for a little bit and, and uh, he, he slept. It was actually quite funny that evening. Um, uh, <laughs> he got given a, I don't know, it's like a sleeping pool kind of kind of thing. And I suggested to him, listen, don't take a whole one, take half. Because this is quite strong, you'll get knocked out. No, 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 no. He just needs to get a good night's sleep. So he took one of these things and the next morning he was lying he down. He couldn't move. Paralytic. <laughs> I said, he said what, what is this stuff? I can't move. I can't move. But he got a solid night's sleep. That, that was yeah. worth it. And um, I, I mean, Nessie, who's part of Armand's team, later on, he, he took the coals from out the fire and put it underneath Fanta's chair. I, I think we're making we, his butt. <laughs> he's baking, baking old Fanta to get warm again. And I mean, Fanta is renowned in the paddling world as this aster. He's this, this guy that just never gives up. And, and he didn't. He didn't give up at all. But Fanta had, had suffered a back injury on day two. I mean, the, so, boat, the boats are quite heavy in the, on the first couple of days. So when you get off the water and you're a bit tired, now you're both going to try and pick up this boat that's weighing, what's it, boat, boat is 19 kgs and you're carrying 25, 20, 25 kilograms. So you're picking up 40, 50 kilograms between the two of you. And I think it just caught him slightly off guard and he tweaked his back. So he, he was... But every day he got up and he said, No, we gotta get there guys and, and pull everybody together and off they went. But but that day I really thought to myself, um, that evening when we when we went to bed, I thought to myself, tomorrow morning, one of these oaks are gonna say enough. That's that's it. I I can't because now you've got to remember they had a 95 kilometer day, which took them right past uh, a little bit of past the eight hour mark. And now this day which was supposed to be a shorter one, just a, a sort of, let's call it a recovery paddle, ended up being the longest day on the water. <laughs> Jason's comment was, can't do another day like this. Huh? Yeah. I really, I really can't, can't do another day like this. It's not happening. <laughs> so, so he was constantly trying to get us to, to tell him that the wind was going to be better the next day. And the more I say to him, listen, Jay, there's no way I can, I can't, I can't predict. I don't think it's going to be <laughs> too, too bad. But, but, you know, it is what it is. We, we paddle it out and see where we go. But the words are stronger. I was so impressed. But you can see on the videos as well, it's, it's actually my favorite video of this entire trip, is the next morning where they had to leave from Conception to go to Sandwich Harbour. Inter interview with Jay and myself. Yeah, I do this, this short little good morning interview with Des and Jason. And, and you can see that both of them are just so tired. And you can see Jason's, you can see 
every emotion in Jason's face that morning. He's hot. He's just hoping for somebody to say, Jay, get in the car. It's over. I'll take you home. <laughs> but nobody did. Oh. And they got back in the boat. And um, I must say, there were days that I think the guys are thinking it was a much better idea to be in the car. But uh, I mean, we had fun. Oh, but that's the day as well. Because the, the big thing was getting their clothes dry. Because now the, the big mistake that we made is they took one set of paddling clothes. Um, luckily, old David Mocha had got these neoprene suits out just before the trip. I mean, so they were all dressed in, in fairly comfy, um, warm paddling yeah, suits. That's equinox stuff. We'll equinox. Give, we'll give our David a shout out here. <laughs> they were fantastic. Yeah, they really, they, they saved them um, on, on this trip. But anyway, so to get that stuff dry, I've, I actually... I don't want you David must, to you, you see. Must, yeah, you don't, don't tell David how it happened. We, we were baking them over the fire. <laughs> yeah, just, just to get them dry. And that morning, I got up at six o'clock and they had decided the previous night that they're only going to start paddling at nine. And I put the clothes out literally like a stand rip, like you would do a, a proper barbecue. I put the clothes out around, around the fire and you can see the steam coming off them. And it took me three hours to get their clothes dry. And you're constantly turning them because there's this fine like line. A, like a good pork chop. Yeah. Just flipping it over. Flipping it over. Because there's a fine line between this neoprene getting dry and, and just burning. Set, set alight. Yeah. And um, they got, I got them dry. I got their clothes dry. They all were dressed. Everybody's in a good mood. They, well, in a, in a semi-good mood that they've accepted the fact that they've got to get back on the water. And then and Noodle dumps me in the water. And as they got in the water, <laughs> Noodle dumps I, was, I, I think that's the only time I was seriously upset. <laughs> and all you can hear on the video is, sorry, bro. <laughs> I did laugh when I saw that video. I thought that was, that was pretty, pretty funny. Siska, I want to just break away from the paddling a little bit. And your, I think it's the, um, what is it? I think it's uh, day, uh, yeah, day three. I think the first time you met up with the guys. Uh, getting to Easter Point, and then also day four. It sounds like you guys had some really, really tough kind of touch and go moments on the uh, on, on from the shore crew point of view of getting through to these guys. I mean, what was it like? Is this the first time you've done that kind of driving in, in Namibia? I'm, I'm guessing not, but can you paint a picture for what it, what it's like getting a car to these places? What did you have to go through? Look, it's, it's also not for the faint-hearted. I think there's many people that, that will never, after a trip like this, get in a car again. But, I mean, you've got to appreciate it. Um, there's a stretch, that stretch of dunes, to go from the coast inland, it's 130 kilometers of dunes. That's how broad it is, basically. So, for us, um, Armand was fairly confident to get up to Afklimbai, um, which is one of the points that they normally drive to. And then past that point... What's, what's the name that they gave that stretch of dunes? I think it tells its whole tale. It's like Devil's Claw. Yeah, or, Devil's Acre or something yeah, like that. It's like it's got this really ominous little name going for itself. Where these dunes... And the first time they said to me... Because I've got all of this faith in Armand. Because he's, he's the dune... The Dune God, Dune basically. Wingman yeah, they call him, he calls himself Dune Feather Wingman and um, Windman or something. But anyway, so I've got, I've got a lot of faith in Armand and in his driving abilities. And when he got out the first time and he said to me, I don't think we're going to make it. I said to him, no, man, Ara, we've, we've got to make it. 
And then we would look at each other and I said to him, if anybody can, you'll be able to do it. <laughs> Nothing like a little bit of flare rate to, to, yeah. to get the girls going. I don't get the boys going. So um, then Armand would get back in his car. And at some stage, he said to me, this is undrivable. And that's when you start realizing it is undrivable because you, all you see is a dune and you see a four by four and you think, oh, you can get up anything. But these aren't normal, just stock standard dunes. They're massive. They're absolutely massive. Okay, so, so in, the, in the desert, in the mornings when you start driving on, on, the, on the dunes or on the beach, it's cold, so the, the sand is quite compacted. And as the day wears on, it, it just gets softer and softer and softer. So your, your wheels and tires are sinking deeper and deeper and deeper. So your, your, your driving skill has to improve as the day is going on. And just one other comment is, is, is uh, on some of those dunes, Armand won't allow a guy that's not an experienced driver to go with because it's so crazy. It's, it's unbelievable. I was so, super surprised to see the videos as well when, when Siska and them arrived home. Not sure I would have sent her with if I'd known. <laughs> But yeah, like um, the, the other thing that you need to remember is when the sun is right above you, so during the lunchtime um, hours, like from 12 to, to 3, um, there's no shadows in these dunes. So the one dune runs into the next one. So you drive up a dune and suddenly you, you thought it's much higher and suddenly you're on the crane of the dune. It's just because they look exactly the same. Um, and that's part of the problem um, of doing these long drives. Like in the morning, you've got, you've got a shadow, and in the afternoon, you've got a shadow. But when the sun's right above you, there's nothing distinguishing these dunes. And the other thing that I didn't realize before this trip is you've got all these winds that, that are at play, and they, they change the dunes as well. So if the wind comes off the beach, it, it creates a, a sort of a, a different a step in the dune. So if you're coming from the other side, you've, you've got to go up this massive dune and then coming down it, you go over a step that the wind has created. So, uh, Robin, I think, I, I don't think I'll be lying if I said we got stuck about 30 times on the top of a dune. And that's why it's important to have the backup vehicles to just pull you back, back down so that you can attempt it again. You were literally stuck there like a turtle. You were teetering on the top of the dune with your four wheels spinning. There's nowhere to go. And they do that because you don't know what's, what's on the other side. So Armand won't go ramping off a dune because, I mean, that's a sure way to break a diff or something. And, and that can't happen when you're in the middle of, the, of nowhere. And um, so they, they drive really, they, they go really fast up to the last meter or so and then they slow down and they sort of try and use momentum to just crest the dune. Um, and obviously, if you don't have enough momentum, you, you get stuck. And especially the first guy that needs to go over. And they call it breaking the dune. So if, you, if the first car's gone over, then the dune is already, that, that sharp crest has been broken. Um, and it's, it's quite phenomenal to be in the car during, and, and to witness how well these guys drive. And I've, I've got to tell you, the most important thing of this trip is, the front car was a Mahindra. And Armand is... If, if you can believe the story now, that's it's, incredible. So it's a 2.2 litre Mahindra. Bucky. Um, and what actually happened, Armand is, he's a very, very big Toyota fan. And he's always just ever driven Toyotas. And the guy that, that owns the Mahindra dealership in Namibia got desperate. And he phoned Armand and he said, can I just give you a Mahindra? And if you, if you like it, please just give me a bit of mileage. The feedback on this thing. So yeah. he, gave this, he gave him a car, said, yeah, take it to the, and Amante said, there's no way I'm taking this car 
energy. There's just no way. It's, it'll, it'll die. It's a Mahindra. And now he's changed his entire fleet over to Mahindra. He absolutely loves it. Stock standard vehicle. He did no changes to this car. He literally put on new tires or fancy bigger tires and went into the dunes of this vehicle. And it outperforms all of the others. So it's quite insane. Yeah, so we were driving this, this Mahindra Bucky in the middle Three, of the 300,000 buck car versus a 700,000 <laughs> dollar car. And it's like killing them. It's but fantastic. I must say, it's, it's Armand. He's, he's a phenomenal driver. So you yeah. can't put it in any... Any oaks I mean, hands, but, <laughs> but, but I was very, very surprised. I should have actually done a, a, a bit of a bigger piece on just the Mahindra, and they call him the Mama Indra. The Mama Indra. The Mama yeah. Indra is the name of that that he calls his car. So no, it was it was a phenomenal experience to be able to drive those tunes. Des, and I'm gonna ask Cisco, I'm gonna ask you the same question. But Des, the summing up the whole thing. What is what what's what has been the takeaway from you? I mean, paddling wise or just just life lesson wise, whatever it is, what's kind of been the the overriding theme or lesson or thought or feeling that that you've taken away from from these eight days in the desert? I mean, you guys were on the ocean, but you're in the desert, self sufficient camping, just three buckies, four guys in, in in two surf skis. What's it left you with? Has it changed you in any way? Yes, I feel like I've got to have a really good answer here, huh? Um, and I don't really have a good one. I, I, I think the, the 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 amazing part is, is is just being out there in nature with a couple of mates and and suffering together. I think the the, the ability to to go through a, a journey like this without really having a single fight um, it's an, it's a testament to 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 a type of character that that'll choose to go on this. And I think if I had to take anything out of that, I think it would be that I was. <clears throat> convinced from my perspective that I was going to make it and I'd enjoy it and I would do it and, and I was just out there to knock out the miles because I'll be honest with you after six days on the water or five days on the water you're pretty you've had enough huh? and, and then it becomes a game of I've just got to knock it out and paddle another day and another day and another mile and another mile it doesn't matter how pretty it is and it doesn't matter how amazing it is and because it's just not interesting anymore it's just it just is tough um, so for me, the, 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 the people, that was what I got out of it is, is, is I, I met two new guys. I mean, Jason, I sort of vaguely, vaguely knew through, through the paddling world. I mean, I, I, I buy his paddles and, and surskis and so on, but, um, getting to know people in, in adversity, um, and in a state of exhaustion, um, and, and far away from home and still being able to be normal, good people, just amazing folks you know that, that are there and they're supporting you i mean we were giving each other massages when the, when the on the water when the guys backs are broken down and you're, you're out there and there's there's always somebody willing to fetch and carry a coke for you and to it was just a really beautiful experience from a people perspective i think that's that was my take on it so. uh, uh, yep i think that was a pretty good answer there des i think you can be happy with that one <laughs> cisco okay, what, cool. now you've got to follow that cisco from from a shore cruise perspective um again you know what 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 was it that what what were you left with look for for me i got to see it all i got to witness it all so many a day i would i would sit and i would get this feeling i'm missing somebody but i'm i'm really there's there's this person and i'm i'm really missing them with my with my whole heart and then i would realize but i missed this trip like i would a person i missed the feelings that i had on this trip I miss the camaraderie. I miss seeing 
seeing greatness because I mean to get on the water day after day after day and, and just hack out these miles and and to keep on smiling and to keep on being nice with each other and exactly what they said that's something that that I feel I have this massive privilege to be able to have witnessed um just just to be able to be a part of that and it's literally like missing a person um the minute we came back in um past Sandwich Harbour. She wanted to go back. I wanted to go back. <laughs> I told the guys, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to go back to civilization. I'm not ready for emails. I'm not ready for WhatsApps. I'm not ready. Can I please just go back? And I think every third day after the trip, I've been saying to Des, when are we going back to the desert? I really need to go back to the desert. Because <laughs> there's a, it's something that it's difficult to explain. Um, when, you, when you're so a part of nature, I mean, you don't wear shoes. You don't wear makeup. You you shower every second day. Um, you 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 completely back into being barefoot, and 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 that's an experience like you can't explain to people. There's something very true in it, and you've got this utmost peace when you're in the desert. Um, this is nothing can worry you, not even when your husband is is in the middle of the ocean riding the big waves. You still. You, you just need to look around and say to yourself, yes, yeah, so just look at where you are at this moment and how privileged you are to be able to witness it. So for me, this trip was absolutely life-changing and I wasn't even the one paddling. And like I said in, in the, the little blog I did, they would have never have written about this. They would have never made a big show of it because it's not the people that they are. They wanted to do this adventure to just do an adventure and to do something big because this is, this is something big. And, and I think, Every person needs to do that one big thing in their lives. All, all the boys need to, need to break it. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to be, you know, this is not a sexy thing. I'm just using the boys as a boys thing. But <laughs> everybody needs to, needs to take something on, I think. And for me, to be able to have witnessed it and then come back and write about it and, and do the videos. And the only reason I did this was, was I wasn't ready to let go because I just wanted to relive it. And you can ask this while I was busy editing the videos. I would just tear up again and say to him, look at this moment and, and look these hugs that you gave each other. I'll and be very <laughs> honest. I, I had enough when I got off the water. I didn't want to see any more. <laughs> but the joke of it is, is I'm ready to go back. Yeah. So th that's not quite amazing. You always, you, you, when you get off the water, you feel like selling all the boats and you feel like giving all your paddles away and it, you've finished. And a week later, you start planning on the next trip. <laughs> I have to also just give my, my wife a shout out. I, I don't think this would have been possible without her. Um, she was absolutely amazing. I think having that having that support on the water, I, I was a bit spoilt having my wife there and all the other guys didn't, didn't have one. I mean, Cisco had to get used to seeing naked men running around. Oh, and I think the, the first day or two, you're a little bit scum. And uh, by day three or four, it's just not happening anymore. Uh, the, cl <laughs> the, the clothes come off and the... And the, 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 the nakedness is, is, is very well exposed. So that was interesting. But Look, if you've, if you've got wet well. paddle clothes on, you get them off your body as soon as you hit the beach. Uh, you, no longer pooed shall we be. Oh. But yeah, so thanks to, to my wife. It was amazing. I can I can certainly back up your claim there, Des. At the very first freedom pedal, Siska, you know we were we were shooting for the hip for the very first freedom pedal, and there were a couple of gaps in our in our planning, and Siska came down and 
she feels she uh, kind of slotted right in there and and and, and was uh, was pivotal to that. So yeah, she'd definitely be on my uh, second. Oh, she's, she's that's a, uh, she's, that, she's that's Can we do this again tomorrow? Because yeah. this is really good for me. <laughs> good for me. Uh, <laughs> the other thing, the other thing I realized from what you're saying, Cisco, is I'm obviously made for the desert because I, I seldom wear shoes and I never wear makeup. So obviously I'm built for the desert as well. So uh, yeah, you yeah. need to yeah. come. We'll book you for next year. Next year it's fun, but yeah, it's fun. You can yeah, do a podcast about your own adventure. I think what's quite amazing is I mean we're really excited to do this again and make it into a yearly thing so that we can share the the, the people experience from my perspective but i think that that um just to get away from it all uh, and, and and if we can get this to to be something something that is that is a repeat ah uh, man i would love it love it love it love it yeah for me as well i get to go back <laughs> so if, any, if anyone listening is if this has inspired you guys at all you know i've i've got to know des and cisco a little bit and uh they're fantastic people in the the, the warmth of the namibian crew i know john wolf was uh, helping you guys with weather as well and 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 i've got to know john a little bit interesting side note john was I think uh, uh, b- b- well, li- was raised on Robben Island. I think he was born there. I think he was born in Cape Town, Correct, raised yeah. on Robben mm-hmm. Island, and so forth. So we've got a connection there with the Freedom Pedal. But uh, these are lovely, warm people. And uh, if this has inspired you, and you want to do something that's absolutely crazy, that's going to challenge you, this is it. I think they'll gladly take you. They put together an amazing website. Let me give you that URL again. It's skeletoncrew.com.na. And uh, there's an About Us section on that page. Uh, and Cisco's kindly put up her email address and her phone number. They'd love to chat about this. So, you know, I think maybe this time around next year, I can't speak for them. But if anyone around the world is looking maybe for the adventure of their lifetime, um, this has got to be up there with kind of going to base camp of uh, at, um, on Everest or, you know, hiking the Appalachian yeah. Trail or something like that. This is, this is a life-changing event, I think. Um, I'm not sure I'm tough enough for it. But if any of you mullets are out there, Richard Kohler, if you're listening, <laughs> he's my partner in the Freedom Pedal. He's going to be paddling uh, next year. He's paddling uh, his surf ski, uh, modified surf ski from Cape Town across to uh, to uh, the Caribbean, uh, South America. Um, that's kind of up his alley. Maybe this will be a warm-up paddle for him. If you, if you kind of fancy yourself yes. cut from that kind of cloth, um, this is probably one to tick off. Maybe, maybe PET East London could be a qualifying event for this. Imagine that. That, well, we we, we, we considered that. Uh, we, we we did consider a qualifier. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've got to be able to do it. Yeah, yeah fantastic. And then, um, guys, also, if you're heading up to Namibia, look these guys up. There's a you know there's a bustling community of paddlers up there. It's growing. I think it was four. Now it's five. So it's rapidly expanding. Um, <laughs> you know. But uh, I think go and join them for a paddle. I'm certainly tempted. They keep inviting me. I keep finding excuses. I think I've got to get past that and go and paddle up there. Um, I think you guys have a downwind that runs from, um, where is it? From uh, from Swakop yeah. to Wolfish. I we, think you have, a, you have a good downwind, huh? Other way around. Other way around. From Wolfish okay. Bay to Swakop Munt. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we'd, we'd, I mean, as part of next year's fun, we're, we're definitely going to arrange a, a little race, um, a singles and a doubles race uh, from from Wolfish Bay to Swakop Munt. It's a nice little 32K uh, paddle, perfect conditions. I mean, it's it's really it's almost too easy uh, from a from a paddle perspective. And if, if we've got some solid winds, which we mostly have, oh, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful run. And then you can get to experience a bit of what we experienced um, on a on a, a lighter version. Guys, thanks for your time. I think we've barely scratched the surface of what was what sounded like a momentous adventure. Thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, Skeletoncrew.com.na if you want to check out what it's all about. And uh, yeah, looking forward to hopefully having you guys down here for uh, for Freedom Pedal in April. I, we, we missed you last year, um, but uh, yeah, yeah, we will definitely be down again. Oh, blacker man, we'd love love to have you guys, and uh, hopefully we can get up your way. 
But I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. That's, uh, you know, Cisco uh, Howard was the was the head of the shore crew there. We had Des Howard uh, paddling with uh, Ian Daniel, also known as Noodle, two local Namibians. And then uh, the Eastern Cape uh, hard boys rocked up. So that was Jason Goodalls of, uh, of Carbonology Sports applying the boats and Fanta Hose. And, uh, you know, I think anyone who's paddled on the East Coast or done PT London knows Fanta well. So that was the crew that had done it. So if you're looking for the inside scoop, get hold of those guys and uh, find out what it's all about. Guys, thank you for spending your evening with me. And uh, we'll, uh, Thanks so we'll much chat for soon. Us. And uh, we're going to come check out Namibia and bring some paddlers with us. Thanks, Robin. Thanks so much. Cheers, mate. That's it, guys. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Tune in next time for all things paddling with essaysurfski.com. <laughs>